everyone. Today's episode is brought to you by Fuelixer. Fuelixer is the sports nutrition subscription box built for endurance athletes and enthusiasts. Every weekend, thousands of men and women strap on their running shoes, hop on their bikes, plunge into pools to train for the next big race. From newbies to Olympic athletes, these individuals are serious about their sports. Spending thousands of dollars on equipment, coaching, and training, all in an effort to reach their peak. They don't know it, but they're missing something. The power they are after isn't in the fancy gear or in coaching alone. The real secret is nutrition. And when it comes to sports performance, what you put in your body matters as much as what you do with your body. Rather than shipping subscribers a random box of sports nutrition products, Felixer builds boxes using a combination of performance data from Strava, nutrition requirements, and taste preferences. Felixer sees the types of workouts you do and gets insights into the weekly training volume. Felixer combines this data with nutrition requirements and your preferences gathered through the Felixer survey. Empowered by sports nutritionists, ex-pro cyclists, competitive athletes, in a little math, Felixer's journey begins by doing the shopping, researching, and calculating for you, the athlete. Felixer makes practicing sports nutrition a personalized experience for newbies all the way to U.S. Olympic athletes. It's easy and fun to get started. All you have to do is go to Felixer.com, connect your Strava performance data, Take a quick nutrition survey, and boom, Felixer selects the sports nutrition gels, bars, chews, hydration, protein, and recovery fuel that fit your individual nutritional requirements and preferences. All you do is you choose your Felixer recommended box size that was calculated based on your historical performance data. With Felixer, you can unlock your potential and really get back to what you are most passionate about. Whether it's cycling, running, or swimming, Fuelixer fuels you. Now, let's tune in to the Fuel Talk podcast. ¿Qué te gusta de la, de la bicicleta? A mí lo que más me gusta es la sensación de libertad, que agarras la bici y vas a donde quieras y aparte de que haces ejercicio, es la libertad, la libertad que tienes de ir a sitios, de ver panoramas, de ver paisajes, es lo que más me gusta. Y al mismo tiempo, obviamente, estás haciendo algo por tu cuerpo, estás, estás ejercitándote, estás justificando tu siguiente comida, es como lo veo siempre, como que nos decía Renato, I right to eat. Me acuerdo que lo dijo un día Renato y me quedó grabado, I right to eat. Y me quedó grabado eso, digo, oye, pues tenía razón, porque... Okay, that was Eladio in uh, castellano, in Spanish. Castilian Spanish. The Spanish bull is in Las Vegas. Uh, this is Eladio... Canibano. Canibano. It's actually Canibano, but just for the sake of removing the ñ, 
I always say Cannibano. 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 Technically, it's Cannibano. C A N I B A N O. But I always thought that it was a pain to deal with the N. Where does the N come from? Honestly, I don't know. I think it's part of the of the Spanish alphabet. But honestly, right, but, but why, like, I don't know. How the Ñe Even the, the country, España, you yeah. know, España is spelled E-S-P-A-Ñe. Uh-huh. Why is there? I don't know, man. How, I mean, I, I wish I knew the answer to that. It's just part of our Spanish alphabet. Right. Is it a myth that the Spanish uh, prince or king um, couldn't pronounce the T-H correctly, so that's why you have the th? Yeah, there is a... A legend in Spain. Is that, that real? Is like no, a no, it, it is true. Apparently, I, I don't know exactly. See, I should have researched this because I knew this. this was a likely <laughs> question. The legend in Spain goes that back in the day, a Spanish king, he has he had a lisp, a lisp, right? A lisp, right? Lisp. He couldn't pronounce some words properly. So that's that's the uh, that's the whole the whole legend that uh, the. the and it's actually it's not always not in the whole country. It's in southern Spain, especially in the Andalusia province, like Malaga, Sevilla, all those parts of southern Spain. People they have a very thick accent, and they pronounce the v, v, like uh, instead of saying "qué pasa," what's up? Mm-hmm. Say "qué pasa." Yeah. But it is they, they say that uh, this this king had a, had a lisp, a lisp. <laughs> yeah. So a lot of people just to please the king, they would speak that way. That that's the <laughs> that's the legend. Now, if that's truth or not, I don't know. I guess not that in I mean, southern crazy. Spain they have this this weird accent. Yeah, yeah, that's crazy. I always uh, thought about that because you know, in in school you learn about Spanish. Uh, besides, I mean, I grew up uh, speaking Spanish, but uh, in you know, my family's from Peru, so we don't we never pronounce that uh, th, you know um, sound. So we would learn about that in school um, in Spanish class, and. I always wondered, like, how is it that one, because of one guy, you know, because of his inability to pronounce something, a whole nation um, has to follow his pronunciation. Like, that's pretty insane. Well, you know, I mean, like, um, like, before him, I guess, did that not exist? Well, what happens, you know, Spain is a very monarchic country. And right. back in the day, the king, he was like the god, you know. Whatever the king said, did, that went. Right. So, honestly, again, I don't know if it's a legend or not, but if a king back in the day yeah. had a list, people would talk to him with a list <laughs> to not make him feel we weird. We gotta do this research. I want to find out. I want to find. I want to just get down to the truth. Now, one thing that I want to make clear is that a lot of people, especially in South America, they always make fun of us Spaniards that we are always speaking with the Z sound. Like th, 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 but it's not yeah. that. That's not the case. The case is that in Spanish, in Castilian Spanish, anything with a Z, zorro Z, uh-huh. is pronounced that way. Like, yeah. for instance, zapato. That would be shoe, right? Zapato. Yeah. So that, that's then, how the Z should be pronounced. In Spanish, in, in Castilian Spanish, the Z in Castellano, yeah. in Castellano, that's the way it should be pronounced right. with that. When you put your your tongue in your teeth and you say zapato, but for whatever reason, uh, when the South Americans make fun of our accents, they always stress that we always speak with the. Yeah. It's not. It's not the case. It's just in some words, and yeah. then of course the famous word cerveza. Cerveza. I happen to add a Z, which in that sounds is pronounced. Z. And then the tha, cerveza. So 
whenever the the people in South America or in Mexico they try to make fun of us, they always they they always stress the th- th- sound. Yeah. And of course, if you add to the mix that in southern Spain they add this lisp. We don't know because we don't know if it's because of the king or what. Yeah. But if they have that lisp, you add that to the mix, then it's like th- th- th. that's that's the reason that we Spaniards will always are made fun of because of the the, the Z sound. Yeah, yeah. No, there, there's well, I mean, come on. You know, Spain and South America and Central America. You know, there's always this like pull and tug, right? Because there's such a huge history there. And I agree. You know, it's funny. Last night I was watching a documentary about Maradona mm-hmm. and uh, his whole life. So it went all the way back when he started, um, my gosh, my memory is horrible. Um, he was playing for, for uh, what, what, what's the club team in Argentina called? Uh, Boca, Argentinos, Bo- no. uh, Boca Juniors? No, 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 Argentinos, Argentinos. Uh. There's a team that's like, the, the jersey's all red or whatever, I don't know. It's very small team before he went to Boca. Okay? Oh, okay, okay. And then from Boca, he ended up going to uh, play in, in Barcelona. Barcelona, correct. Right? Yeah, yep. What I didn't know was he basically was kicked out of Spain, like by the Spaniards. The Spaniards hated him. Um, he was known as the famous, you know, Sudaca, <laughs> but he, he was just, he was hated, bro. He, he wasn't loved at all. Like, literally, uh, th- there was, like, one of his last games. First of all, they broke his leg there. Correct, in Bilbao. A, yeah. In Bilbao, yeah. Yeah, they, they broke his leg there. Um, then he came back like six months later after returning from surgery and everything in Argentina. Uh, and again, they started hacking him, but flagrantly, very obvious, to the point where they started fighting and karate chopping and there was a bunch of Bruce Lees on the field <laughs> killing each other. And while the, the Prince of Spain was there, uh, and this wasn't, you know, something that was very usual in, in Spanish sport and, you know, people just like literally like two gangs like attacking each other it was crazy now i think after that you know he he moved out of spain and then went to uh italy went to he italy, went yeah. to napoli back and then, after then that. he was a god there you know they they embraced him <laughs> yeah in maradona case honestly he's been a long time that was maybe are we talking the late 80s he was a very controversial uh player definitely he was very controversial and and what I remember back in the day, his his life in Spain, other than being a very good soccer player, he liked to party a lot. Yeah. So when when the journalists got wind of that lifestyle, and then in the field he wouldn't perform, mm. you know, he was making tons of money back in the day. People didn't like that. So you're going, you're right. making so tons of money. You are going now. You're getting drunk. You're getting yeah. girls. You're from and South they, America. Yeah, like, just South America. You come to our land. You are Con- cocky. Conquering are... our women. Conquering our our sport. And then you go to the field and you <laughs> play very well. So that's why what like you were it. talking about. Yeah, I yeah. think if I remember right, it was a game in Bilbao. I think it was the Spanish King Cup. One of yeah. a famous defender called Goicoechea, which yeah. was as tough as they come. He tackled him, and he tackled him hard, and as he tackled him as hard as breaking almost his, his yeah. fibula. That's that's as far as he tackled him, and of course that created a lot of bad blood between Bilbao and Barcelona. But yes, that didn't help his cause to be a you know very outspoken, you know. And yeah, after that, I don't think he played much in Spain, and and he was released from Barcelona and moved to Italy. Yeah. yeah. And in Napoli, he actually he became like you said, he became a god because. He was kind of like a middle of the table team, and by signing Maradona, he took the he team took to another level. Yeah. 
started and being Milan and Juventus. Exactly. All these teams, and yeah. today, if he goes to Napoli, he's, he's still admired as a god. Yeah. Because he was a, a, a nobody, you know, a team that nobody knew. And he became somebody. You know, they became, he, 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 this team became somebody, you know, in Europe. But anyway, yeah, we're What's, talking about a controversial person. Yeah, yeah. What's been your, uh, your moment of glory in cycling? What's been your, like, favorite ride and, like, you know, whether it was a group ride or a solo ride or a century ride? Like, what's been that ride for you that you can still remember that was, like, your favorite? The one that you had to dig deep in? I don't know. You just felt great, you know, for accomplishing and finishing it. Well, I can remember two of them. The, the first one that comes to my mind is the Tour of Summerlin in 2000, probably, maybe 13. It was uh, probably about four years ago when I first started cycling. It was probably three months into me coming back into the cycling world. And it was an April day and it was very, very, very windy. And back in, the, in those days, the, in, that, in that tour of Summerlin, the Red Rock Loop was part of the, of the deal. And it was 100 miles. It was an eddy like right. it is now. So I remember that me, three months into cycling, Going, going into the you know the north part of the city with a lot of wind, trying to fight the wind. Then, uh, once we got into the Red Rock Loop, I remember being with, with Steve Brown. I said, Steve, I think this is snowing. So for a little bit in the in the loop, it was snowing. Then getting into Blue Diamond, we were freezing. Coming back again, we were fighting the wind, using all our gear in the back in a flat area, just trying to stay you know on your bike and then coming back into the into the area where the stage was set up for for the beginning and the end of the ride i think it was in front of the linda gibbons school yeah in summerlin i remember i think we finished about 1 30 p.m after six hours six and a half hours of fighting the weather i felt very accomplished like i've been three months cycling after 20 uh, hiatus of 20 years and I was able to complete 100 miles in this weather. Right. That was the one that I can remember the most as epic. And then I think two years ago, another one I did in San Diego, San Diego Century. I remember I felt really well and I did a very good time. And I just remember I had fun. I, I never felt any cramp after the 100 miles. I remember going back to the staging area. I said, wow, I just did 100 miles and I feel great. I could keep going. <laughs> so these are the two, the two times that I felt really, really well over, you know, riding a bicycle. Yeah, yeah. So how did you get into cycling, man? Well, it's a long story, though. <laughs> well, I, I used to, in, back in Spain, northern Spain, I'm from northern Spain, from Asturias. It's a very, very hilly area. One of my best friends, Javier, uh, back in the day, his dad owned a little bike store. So I hang out with him all the time in his dad's bike store. And one day I, I remember, I said, well, why don't we go for a ride, Javi? I said, okay, let's go. So I bought this blue Orbea, which is still, I still in my mom's house in Spain, where the shifters are in the frame. It's not, they're not on the <laughs> handlebar. Yeah, yeah. So that's how we started. We, we just went around the neighborhood and then little by little, Javier and I, we would compete in, in these little little town race in northern Spain and I did that all the way from I think I was 14 15 until 18 before I went to college and all these years we would just go little town to little town where there was some some local competition where we would just ride no it was just for fun pretty much because we didn't win anything and we never won we just participated 
And Northern Spring is very hilly. Mm -hmm. So it was just, you know, and it's very green. It's very green and very hilly. Kind of place where you can see like cows on the side of the, on the mountain, you are right next to the cows while they are eating their grass. So that's how I started. And then I went to college and I kind of left the cycling aside. Fast forward, I don't know, 20 years, I, I, started, I started going to spinning classes. And I was lucky enough that I met a bunch of, especially here in Las Vegas, I met a bunch of people. Uh, I'm talking about a, a person that we you know, both know, Renato, Renato Lebron. Renato. Renato. So we, we kind of uh, started going riding with a bunch of group, people that you also know, like Steve Brown, uh, Nelson Achabal, Andrew Garcia. And that's how everything started. Then once you start getting involved in this world, you start meeting people. I met a lot of the guys from the Seno to Shifters. I met you. I met Steve, uh, Steve, Stephen White. I mean, so many people that you get to know, and that's how one thing led to to the to the other. And now uh, this is basically a part of my life, and I'm always yeah. I mean, you're, you're pretty obsessed with cycling, though. I, you're obsessed. So, like, how, how did the how does it how does it go from just riding on the weekends to an obsession? I think it's a combination of, of trying to get healthy, to be healthy. I used to be way heavier back in the day. And once you see that you make improvements, that you can ride longer, that you can be faster in the heels, uh, you see your friends getting better and you want to be like them, then it becomes, like you say, an obsession. And, and when you are home because you can ride, because it's, I don't know, you have to be with your kids or whatever, you are itching that something is missing. I think it's a combination of a lot of things, like getting healthy, being with your friends, uh, trying to get better. That, that's that's how I feel. That's how it's, this thing has become a little, little bit of an obsession. Yeah, but why cycling though? I mean, you you know, you can go to the gym and like do this other stuff, but like True why that. cycling? I think, as, as I said, this was my first obsession when I was 14, 15. And taking this huge break from what, 1980, eight when I went to college and I kind of left the, the bicycle aside all the way to 2011 12 when I first went to spinning classes there was a big hiatus but still I always loved cycling back in, in, the, in the back of my mind I was always you know I think a cyclist a closet cyclist even though I didn't I was always watching <laughs> you know I remember always watching yeah. you know Tour de France and the La Vuelta España and Giro in Italy I would always follow it and I say, wow, these guys are good. But I never really did it. And as I right. said, meeting Renato and, and, and finding that opening, say, well, maybe I should go back to cycling. Yeah. That, that's how it became my obsession again. Yeah. At first, at first cycling, uh, riding outside, seems like there's a little bit of a, a, not a barrier, but it just seems like, oh, you know, I don't have a helmet. I don't have that clothes. I don't have those shoes. I don't have that bike. Where do I get that stuff? You know, if you're not, if you don't know about it, it's kind of, it it's, seems unreachable. It's, it's intimidating, yeah, it's especially intimidating. when you have nothing and you have to get a bike. And then you have, you have to think, wow, I need a bike, but I also need pedals. And then I need the shoes. And then I need the, you know, all the clothes that you need. And then once you start buying things, it's, it never ends. Yeah. Because you always want the another jersey or, or, oh, the bike needs another you know another enhancement you know or well now these tires are also i need better tires or oh, i get too many flats so uh, let's get the better gator skins yeah. so is is this this world is a never-ending source of of expenses yeah 
and you know that because we both write and so now my crank is too big I need a new crank oh my helmet you know it's cracks or a new helmet so it's never ending but yeah the beginning of, of this uh, sport yeah it can be intimidating first as far as expenses and second the roads you know it's intimidating to be clipped to a bike you know and deal with traffic crazy drivers uh crazy other riders too when you're in a group you know? exactly exactly so it's yeah you need to be special kind of crazy when you when you ride on a bike to be honest yeah <laughs> <laughs> and that's why we do it because i mean i guess we we accept the risks that that conveys but at the same time we we the the fun that we get and the joy we get on a bike i guess trumps the whole idea of the danger that we assume every every day that we that we ride yeah i think it's a great counterbalance to being inside of a building or a room in an office with artificial lighting and a computer in front of you oh yeah you know i think you need to get out there and free and free yourself you know from all those things on the bike and that definitely helps for sure man yeah i don't know if you feel that but when you spend like a week in your house because of the weather, you know, or whatever, you are busy or you are sick. I don't know you, but as far as me, when I when I get my bike after maybe four or five days and I just go outside, you know, the sky is blue, you know, the weather is awesome. And the, these first five seconds when you, I just got off of the, my garage and I got down my street, I just feel the wind in my face. Wow. I miss this. I just, I just like it. I just like the sensation that, oh man, I, I like this. I like to be out. I like to be exercising. I like to be healthy. It's yeah. just that feeling. This five, the, the first five seconds when you leave your house, I say, wow, I miss this. It, it was just five days or six days or whatever, but it's like, wow, I like this. Do you ever plan on uh, taking your friends out to to Spain and riding out there? You know, that's Back one of to your my hood and get, getting in the hills. If for whatever for whatever reason one day I become a millionaire. That would be one of my, probably my, my dreams. Get a bunch of friends, I say, hey guys, let's pack all your all your bikes. Let's get one of those big boxes where you put your whole bike, without the wheels, of course. Let's go to Spain. I'll create a route. I'll we'd fly to Madrid. We'll rent a big minivan. We're going to Malaga. I'm from Malaga, which is in the very tip of Spain. I'm gonna ride all the way to the French border. You know, all in the in the Spanish shore, you know, like, and, and as I said before, Andalusia, you know, Valencia, Barcelona area, cross the border, and then probably we would make all our way to Italy. But originally, originally to start with, probably I, I, I fly a bunch of my of my cycling buddies and I, I do that. Just right in southern Spain. I'm saying southern Spain because of the weather. The weather is normally a little bit milder than even in winter time. I'm from the north, but still, I have to accept that the north is not as, as nice weather-wise. It's not that bad, but still, it's rainy and sometimes gets windy. But southern Spain, almost the nice weather is guaranteed. But yes, I would do that, and I would do a, a tour of the Spanish coast all the way from Malaga to the French border. I mean, it's it's doable, you know? You, like, nowadays, you have these companies that will ship your oh, bikes yeah. for you super, yeah. you know, cost-effectively. Um, plane tickets are what? Like five, you got a plane ticket for like three, four hundred dollars. If right you're if you're very lucky, you can get a you can get a 
with the five, six hundred bucks, you know, even five, with the bikes. But as I yeah. said, I, I'd be a millionaire, you get, you so you don't have to pay for anything, you know? It's just about like organizing it and getting, you know, aligning, um, you know, everyone's schedules and, and kind of planning out a trip. So, for instance, like in September, I'm going to Peru and I'm going to be scoping out some uh, some routes and uh, what the whole cycling vibe is down there. Because I know it's not as uh, ex it's not as big as it is in Colombia. But uh, the mountain biking scene is, is pretty big in Peru, but not the road bike. So I want to scope it out, see what's going on, because I think by 2020, I want to, you know, have like an organized like trip, you know, vacation, quote unquote, type of uh, experience out there. Oh, send me up. I'm there. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I think, you know, what, one of those, or I guess the reason why I want to do that is because, I mean, yeah, like we have a lot of fun riding here. We have a lot of fun riding in you know, in like California, for example, when yep. you go on a trip, um, you know, and, and you go on these on these routes that you've never been on, you know, and you start exploring, um, there's it gives you a, another sensation, you know? And I think that's like, for me at, at least, the, the journey of riding in new areas and just going on that like tour ride, you know? Um, is is what I I'm kind of like looking for. So don't get me wrong, I still want to suffer. You know, <laughs> I want to climb like, you know, and maybe do like four days in a row where every single climb is like above, you know, ten thousand feet at least, right? And you will find that in Peru, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll definitely find that. Um, you ready for Tuesday, right? I f want to believe that I am. Yes. Yeah. So what? So we're going um, the second climb is going to be Mount Baldy, right? Correct. So the first one, what is that called? It starts with a G. I forget what it is. Correct. Oh, I, I don't even want to think about it. Yeah. So you guys tell me. It's like me. 70, <laughs> 74 miles over 12,000 feet of climb, right? Correct. Nice and yeah. short, compact. Um, hey, there's a bunch of guys from Las Vegas doing this in uh, in the tour of uh, Gila. Yeah. You, yeah. you know? And so, well, I mean, they're doing a lot, a lot harder than that, but... Um, we can do it, man. I mean, yeah. I'm excited. I've never been there. I, that, I, I'm hearing a lot of different things from, from the people that already went to Mount Baldy. Yeah. Baldy and, and I don't know, as you say, I'm going to enjoy, other than the you know the difficulty of, of climbing and all that, just the, the landscape, seeing a new place for the first time, climbing it, just taking the whole thing in. You Are you know? like? Do you get nervous before um, a ride that you don't know of? I used to, big time. I used to. And and Renato, remember my first rides, he would just mess with me and he wouldn't tell me. And he would tell me one thing and then switch it up on me. So just, just to mess with you. Because oh my, no, my, you know, I'm a very organized person and I yeah. try to think and uh, what I'm doing, what I'm going and, and manage my, my time, my energy. And he would just, my first, you know, my first rides with him, he would just uh, mess with me. Renato, you're a jerk. <laughs> he would tell, let's go. To, let's, let's do. To, you know, let's try Villa Ridge, and then let's go back to our meeting point in Desert Foothills. And then once, you know, my brain was, oh great, I'm done. You know, and say, oh no, let's yeah. let's go all the way to the Red Rock Canyon. I say what? So he would just mess with me, and no, but that's good because like I know I, he, he knows he knows what he's doing. He's like. He's like, because he, he knows that if he if he says, you know, let's go to the loop, you'll probably be like, oh, no, let's go somewhere else, you know? He's like, <laughs> yeah, he's a, he's a trip, that guy. Yeah, he, he would oh, mess God. with me. But yeah, like, answering your question, yeah, I, I get nervous if I don't know where I'm going a little bit. So I don't know, with time I'm getting better. Have you tried to sneak in and, and look at the route? Because uh, I know you asked me and I said, no. I'm no, actually, no. Yeah, you told me yes. Let it be whatever it is. Don't don't yeah. don't bother. So yeah, I haven't done anything, and 
I'll trust you on this one and I won't check it out before we go. <laughs> I think uh, there's something about not knowing, you know, what's in what's in front of you. There's there's excitement in it. Um, you know, so it should be a good day. It should be a good day. A great day, man. Yeah. There's something about, you know, suffering uh, with, with a group of people, with anyone else that uh makes makes that whole ride you know even even better you know you know because <laughs> there's literally like nothing because you know exactly the other person's going through pretty much the same thing i know? always say and, <laughs> and and forgive me for the comparison you know when you talk about uh, band of brothers you yeah. know i i remember that that uh series you know on i think it was on hbo you know with tom hanks you know the normandy thing the second right, world right. war and I know, of course, it's a very different scenario. But when you do a long ride with, with a bunch of, of buddies, you know, like you say, the suffering you all go through, of course, in different levels, because people, obviously, they have, different, they have yeah. different, you know, uh, levels of fitness. Mm -hmm. For whatever for me is crazy, for you might be a okay ride. It's not that hard for you. But either way, the, the bonding that you create with the other guys in, the, in those centuries or in these rides, we're gonna, this ride we'll be doing on Tuesday, it creates a bond. I think it's the same as soldiers. When you're suffering together and going through all the crap together, you know, it creates a very a bond and people outside this wall or people outside the military, they don't, they don't understand that bond that you create while you're suffering or you are going through that crap, whether it's receiving bullets or sweating bullets, you know, in, a, in, the, in the climb. Yeah. That bond you create, I think that is, it, it remains in that circle of cycling or military. That's why people, I believe, when they come from uh, uh, battle scenarios, they create this unique bond, you know, and even though it's been 10 years since they've seen each other coming from Iraq or Afghanistan or whatever, they have this, this bond that is unbreakable which is like us going to do 100 miles with 15,000 feet sure. of elevation. Sure. This is bond that you only know because you were there and you sweated and you you wanted to quit, but you didn't. It, I think that that's what creates these, these strong uh, bonds while, while cycling, the, the suffering that we all go through together. I mean, we all go through together. Yeah, for sure. Definitely. Definitely, man. There's that, um, you know, ever everlasting... Uh, I guess commitment to finishing, you know, and and, and you bragging know, rights too. You have yeah, the bragging rights. You got, you know, if you leave someone in the dust, you know, you can talk <laughs> shit to them later. Uh, um, and that happens a lot in this little world. Oh yeah, of course. I mean, without that, you know. If you don't have that, what do you have, right? <laughs> you can mess with people. Hey man, what happened in that climb? Oh yeah. man, I was out of gas, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's so funny. It's so funny how also we we like sometimes. You know, if like our Garmin is dead, you know, we, we're like, oh man, you know, Garmin. That happened to Nelson yesterday, right? He was like yeah. freaking out because his Garmin was dead and he couldn't record his. Probably he got PRs yesterday. Well, yeah, that's what happens if he's not recorded on his travel. It even happen. happened. Yeah. You know, that's the that's the rule number one, right? Make sure your your I mean your phone or your Garmin is on Strava. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, yeah, that would probably kill the bragging rights, right? Yeah, yeah. Do you go on Strava and? Um, just look at you know like if you didn't ride that day uh you just look at people's you know you just go look at the feed at your feed do i have to say yes in, on, on so you do on, you on do, the do. You, do. <laughs> <laughs> you do i have to say that the days that i don't ride because i yeah. can't of, so, because whatever so in other words though you you prefer to look at your strava feed instead of facebook feed which one would you draw first your strava feed or your facebook feed? oh that's a tough one 
I'm not a big fan of, of Strava. I mean, sorry, of, of Facebook. I get into Facebook more because I've been part of the shifters. I know to shifters, they, you know, there are a lot of things that are announced on Facebook. So I've become a little bit more addicted to Facebook because of that. But I have to say that Strava, it becomes a little bit of a, also a part of you in this world. You know, you did check what everybody did and, and how many miles they Yeah, so they, if, you had to, if you had to drop one, which one would you drop? Which account would you close? I don't know. I couldn't answer you that. Probably I would drop Facebook, probably. Yeah. But because lately we, you know, myself, I got more involved with cycling. But yeah, that would be a tough one to yeah. to drop. But yeah, I definitely look at people. You know, and and I said, wow, these guys did a long ride. But you today. give kudos too. I mean, you you share the love. Oh yeah, I always. Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, I don't I don't mind sharing the love like you say. Yeah, but yeah. I I like to see what people did. Uh, like oh man, Paolo, this week you've really gone at it. You know, two hundred miles. Do you check? Uh, do you check like speed and heart rates and stuff? Like no. do you go into the into the data? Uh, I I if I check something, I just check to compare whoever person did this segment with mine. Yes, out of curiosity to see, wow, these guys are really improving. But no, I'm not. I'm not really into, you know, like uh, oh, uh, the, the watts or the heartbeats and, and I mean, heart rate. No, I, 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 don't, I don't do it. I'm, I'm not that, that scientific that way. Yeah, because like um, I, I notice that I do look at more data because of the title. So if they, if they have a good title, like oh, I, I killed it today or something. Oh, okay. I want to know like what killed it means, you know, to that person. <laughs> So I'll look at it, you know. I don't give titles, so I'm like, uh, I just post yeah. or whatever. Plus, I don't have a, I don't have a, a, uh, a power meter. Oh yes, yeah, so here. you know my my data is limited. You can't. I would like to see the the average, um, you know, headwind on the ride. That'd be interesting. Yeah, yeah, that would be an interesting data because probably that's, cause that's gonna affect your overall performance, right? Yeah. If you have headwind all the way yeah. to say Blue I, Diamond, it's gonna probably affect your your time. Yeah, because right? there there are some humans out there that have that will go out on days when they're going to get a tailwind on certain segments. Oh, ex and oh just, okay. Like, just to get like PRs, you know? Oh, yeah, so I'm they're, they're known for like the wind hunters, you know? Oh, yeah. See, yeah, I didn't know that. Yeah, they go out and they're like, oh, we're just going to, you know, we're going to hit the wind and we're going to get these PRs and, you know, F it. Well, sometimes I, I've seen people, in fact, in the, in the bike path, you know, the 215 bike path. At one time I saw a guy chasing a motorcycle, a moped. Yeah. So apparently, yes, to draft behind right. this, and I don't know if it was a question of getting a PR on Strava or if he was just doing something crazy. But I remember, I remember, I said, what are these guys doing? The guy was chasing this moped, and they were yeah. going, I don't know, it was pretty fast. Yeah, probably thirty at least. But I said, why would you do that? I mean, just for the bragging rights, for Strava bragging rights, or what are you doing here? Well, yeah, the, you know, like racers will do um, like motor pacing, like for training and stuff, you know. Oh yeah, right. that I can I understand yeah. on, on open roads, but on a on a closed place as the bike path. Yeah, that's hilarious. You need really. When uh, was that? That was last year. That oh was I was, I, I was just doing a you know a, a quick ride. That's ridiculous. And I see these guys. Yeah, I think it was by Lake on the Mead, bike path. That's weird. on the bike path, and they were on top of Lake Mead, I believe. And I said, whoa! And I heard the the buzzing of the eh, or the motorcycle. Yeah. I said, wow, these guys are coming towards me. It's a motorcycle, and there's a guy very close, like on on aero position. I said, what? I said, am I seeing this real? It's really. I never knew why or what they were doing, but they were doing it. Yeah, it's crazy how obsessive people are about it too. Because I remember, you know, I, um, sometimes I got picked up from a from a bike, uh, cycle shop after a really long ride uh, to go home. You know, it was like a hundred plus ride, climb whatever. So 
I, uh, I didn't turn off the Garmin. The Garmin was still on until I got to my house. So oh, obviously okay. I got a ton of PRs on yes. the way back, right? And somebody flagged you probably. Huh? Bro, they flagged me like within a minute. I'm like, uh, in my head, I'm like, come on, you know. They have to know that like it's just left on, is in the car. And like that was it, like chill out. Like, but within a minute, it's like flagged like crazy. That happened to me once too. I <laughs> forgot to turn off uh, my cell phone when I used my cell phone to Strava. Yeah. And I put my bike in the car and I went home and I think I took, uh, I think uh, this road, Red Rock Club, yeah. going back home. And apparently, you know, Strava had a bunch of PRs, of course, because I was driving in my car. Yeah. So I think I got like a bunch of flagging flags. People said, no, no, that can be right. You know, that you can you can go that fast. So of course I had to remove all the, those segments because somebody was actually looking at that and saying, no, that's too fast. You have to remove that. <laughs> so I guess some people are really into yeah, yeah. checking your, your times. So do you have any uh, any cycling goals? Like, do you are you looking forward to improving your cycling in any way? Or, you know, are you taking the approach of, you know, I'm just, I just want to go out and ride and, and have fun and, and be fit and feel good and come back, you know, home so I'm happy or my family and, you know, everything's good. Like, or are you taking like a performance, like goal type of thing? I think it's a combination of, of both. Uh, I know that I'm way past my professional time. <laughs> I Maybe at some point when I was first cycling in Spain for a minute, I thought that I might, you know, compete. But once I went to college and, and you know, there was this huge gap and I, I took the cycling back in whatever, 2012. I think my overall goal is just get better and, you know. But what does get better for you? For me, getting better is just, you know, when I go to a climb, for instance, uh, doing it faster or when I go on a fast pace ride, not being dropped. But at this point of my life, you know, having, you know, a kid and, and a job, you know, responsibilities, it's hard to dedicate a lot of time to cycling to take it to the next level, to the point where you can compete in Cat 5, 4, 3, whatever. I'm not saying I, I, I wouldn't do it, but I think, uh, I think it's more of a combination of both, like getting better, but at the same time being able to get home every day safe and be healthy, especially being healthy. Yeah. Like, like I mentioned before, I used to be pretty heavy, talking 210 pounds, which is not a lot, but it still is, is heavy for my for my height. For sure. And I'm, I'm happy with my health right now, and, and this is one of the things that, I, that I'm thankful, thankful for, is that, you know, by riding my bike, I'm able to be healthy, you know, and I can pretty much eat whatever I want. I don't normally watch what I eat, because I know tomorrow I'm gonna be riding. Yeah. And I'm going to be burning a lot of calories. So I'm pretty much justifying my meal. That's one of the main goals. But again, uh, I like doing it because I like the, the bond, you know, with, with the people that I ride with. I'm lucky to have a, a lot of good friends, you know, in this world. But I don't, I don't think I'm going to be a professional if that's the, what you are asking yeah, there's, a, there's a professional just what, that just uh, rode in. It's, who is this? Oh, this is Dax. Dax. New, new kid day. Why do I not know about this? New wheel day. Seriously, New 100% day. Told <laughs> you. What's up, brother? I'm good. How much for being on the podcast, man? My pleasure. Uh, My pleasure. Do you want to give any shout outs to any uh, any people out there? Any love to anyone? Uh, Who's to been on your, on your cycling journey? 
Well, it's a lot of people that I like to say hi, especially the Sereno Two Shifters, headed by Mike Hope, Andrew Garcia, Dax, G, Jude. You know, it's so many people. Then the guys that I started with, Renato Lebron, uh, Nelson Achabal, uh, Steve Brown, Andrew Garcia, Pablo, <laughs> Pablo Quiroga, I mean, Stephen White. It's a lot of people that yes, I ride with. Edgar to Edgar, my good friend Edgar. So, I mean, it's a lot of people, you know. Like I said, this world is a small, you know. Las Vegas is a big city. But the cycling world, if something happens, you know this person, of course, because it's a very close-knit group. Yeah, for sure. Right on, man. Thank you so much. Thank you, Pablo, for having me here. Thank you. Wow, that was 